Welcome to The Real Money Show, hosted by Guildhall Wealth Management, a show about the incredible potential of owning physical gold, silver, natural, fancy colored diamonds, what they could do to help your portfolio. The number is one eight seven seven eight silver and the website's therealmoneyshow.com. Welcome to our Calgary listeners as well on CHQR. As always, Darren, we start with the, uh, the update of the week. How are things? Things are good, John. Mm-hmm. The market this week in gold is up yet again, another 4%. Actually, another 2%. Pardon me, silver's up 4% on the week. We are trading now in the 1320 range, and gold year-to-date has now approached uh, 8.2% gain. A close above, I would say, right now, $1,400 an ounce would be extremely bullish for the market and would send uh, one half of our market expecting lower prices into a frenzy. So that's what we're watching for. Silver also very Steady on the week, trading right now in the 2120 range. It is up about 4% in year to date. It is up about 8.4%. So a close above 2250 on that metal, and we would also be holding a very bullish position. Now, the news of the week was scattered. There was some of the same, and uh, there was a bunch of really interesting uh, bits of news that are developing. One of the things that I'm following right now is that in Singapore, they have begun taking steps to become a major international trading hub. We have long discussed the movement from west to east Mm -hmm. uh, part of the world in terms of bullion and understanding of what physical bullion is. And over here in the west, unfortunately... Majority of investors really have focused on paper investments uh, as opposed to the physical asset itself. And really, that has not been uh, as advantageous. If you've been a physical investor, you've actually participated in a market in gold that has traversed an incredible climb in the last 10 years, up over 320%, silver up over 390% in that same stretch of time. Now, Singapore is taking steps to launch a new gold, 25 kilo bar gold trading contract, uh, which is due uh, to be launched in September, which will be a drain. Now, with Asian demand set to remain strong into the future, Singapore is capitalizing on its recent successes that were spurred on by its removal in October of 2000. 2012 of a tax that they had it was a 7% good and services tax on gold, silver, and platinum. Now, Asia share of uh, the total global demand for gold, gold jewelry, bars, and coins uh, in that period of time has jumped dramatically. In fact, since 2010, the demand for that physical type of, of gold has gone from 57% of the total market share to 63% of the total market share, and that's last year's stats. I'll be waiting anxiously by third or fourth quarter of this year for the new stats, but really this is a huge piece of news and it bodes well for demand side of the equation. Where they're going to get this gold from, I have no idea. It's already thin uh, when it comes to supply and uh, maybe we're going to have to end up seeing uh, Germany get its gold back faster than they uh, are getting it now, but I doubt that's going to happen. But they just put out a report on Bloomberg that everything was all fine and that Germany doesn't need its gold back. They said thank you very much. Pure propaganda, by the way, which Bill Murphy from GATA reported. But, you know, this is this is serious smoke and mirrors and games going on right now. Gold, Germany wanted its gold back. That is their sovereignty. It's being held in the U.S. The U.S. couldn't supply anything. They only got 37 out of 350 tons to date. That's nothing. That's a pittance. And those bars were refabricated bars um, and... This is over a two-year period that they've been trying to get this pittance of a return. So for Bloomberg to come out, we don't know if Germany actually came out and said this, but for Bloomberg to come out and say, Germany says it's all fine, it's all good. 
Okay, but how long is that going to keep going before the next black swan happens when somebody else decides they want their gold? The interesting thing you just said is they got back 37 tons of gold, was it, out of 350. Where is their original gold? Now, when we have a depository at Guildhall, which is very important, you, where the product is allocated, segregated, you actually get bar numbers. Nobody can take your product. Mm -hmm. No one can sell your product. You can't make a trade without telling us the bar numbers that you want to sell. So that's one of the things that we've introduced at Guild Hall, which makes it really, really safe to own gold, silver in a safe, secure, protected allocation here in Ontario. And we're very, very proud to be associated with this. At Guild Hall, we sell physical gold, silver, platinum, and palladium. You can take home delivery if you want to buy a product. You can have it delivered to you. You can buy it. Or if you don't want to take delivery and you want to put it in a safe, secure location, not having to worry about it, getting monthly reports on what you own, what it's worth, this is a great way to, to you know get into to holding gold and silver. But the, the bottom line here, John, is that we can't at Guildhall can't get away with nearly what the US government can get away with. <laughs> you know, they can say to their customers, it's okay, it's there. No, you don't need to audit it. No, you don't need to take delivery. Um, and the other countries can just take it. Um, but that doesn't work that way in the real world. In the real world, you put a bar into the depository. It's expected that that's the bar you're going to get back. And that's the bar you are going to get back. The number is one eight seven seven eight silver in the real money show.com. Well, again, if you look at the world as a whole, the global metals market this and year... It is, it is a whole. It is. Yeah, a bit of it is. The, glo <laughs> the global gold market and silver market this year is in a massive state of flux. And the traditional trading centers that have uh, been there uh, for a long time in London and New York, they've, they've seen their investors lose a lot of faith. And these market participants account for a huge part of the sentiment in the market. So it surprises me. Uh, it never surprises me and never ceases to amaze me that the headlines will tell us that there is a loss of sentiment and that nobody's really paying attention to gold and silver. It doesn't pay dividends. I mean, I've heard so many excuses, but the reality is behind the scenes, it's being accumulated. People want this uh, commodity and they're, they're vying for it all over the world. Now, international banks have been caught you know, time and time again, exerting undue influence over a lot of the paper markets around the world, a lot of the, the, the benchmarks. We've heard, you know, scandals revolving around the LIBOR interest rates, the global currency trading, and even gold market and silver market pricing mechanisms. And now powerful banks, they're being further scrutinized over possible market manipulation. So when you're looking at all of these types of allegations coming across the wire, it's no doubt that people want their physical gold, silver, platinum, palladium, and they want to know where it is, and uh, they want to be able to touch it. And that's what we do at Guildhall, and that's the important part of owning gold and silver. one eight seven seven eight silver is the number, therealmoneyshow.com. We're going to take a uh, short break. When we come back, we had amazing feedback last week, had an interview with David Morgan. We've had a ton of requests to uh, replay that segment, so we'll get into that uh, after a short break. Hang on. And more of The Real Money Show, the number to start investing, one eight seven seven eight silver online, therealmoneyshow.com. Joining the show now, he is the publisher of the Morgan Report on Precious Metals and author of Get the Skinny on Silver Investing. David Morgan is with us. Well, hello, David. Welcome to The Real Money Show. We're really big fans, and we're glad to have you here today. Uh, how have you been? 
been excellent. Thank you. Fantastic. Well, I'll get right into the line of questions we have for you today. On The Real Money Show, we've discussed cycles on our show for a long time. We've been doing this on air since 2008 ourselves here in the Toronto market and across Canada and now in the U.S. And uh, gold and silver really, in our eyes, has been uh, very cyclical since the beginning of this bull market back as early as 2000, early 2000s. In your best words, how would you explain the most recent correction of the silver price since 2011 and what factors have played a role in getting us to where we are at this point in time? Well, if you go back to the previous bull market, which you know I participated in, uh, really, manipulated or not, it's what I would consider to be normal uh, market behavior. And if you look at the previous bull market when gold was freed, uh, at the 42.22 an ounce, it went all the way up to about 200, not quite, and it backtracked and fell off to about 100, not quite, and then it moved up from that level back to the 200 level and beyond, and from 200, it went to 850 on the spot market. So it was a big washout. It took a couple years. And when gold was hitting the $200 level, there was euphoria in the market and lots of commentary about how great it was going to do. And when it caved and retraced about 50% of the move, got near the 100 level, you could hardly find a, a solid gold bull anywhere. So knowing that and watching what took place in 2011, I called the top in silver at the $48 level, and I think I was within just a few days to the exact top luck or skill, either one, I don't care. The point is I made that call. And on the way up, and this is in the record, you can go check it, you can listen to the YouTube videos, whatever. I said uh, around the 30 level, especially the 35 level and up, if you have to buy silver and or gold, please don't buy all that you want at this point in time. This market's getting frothy. It's going to extend. It's going parabolic. It is going to top. I just don't know when. And, of course, actually... I guessed when, and I was correct. And a lot of people got in. I mean, there's always more money put into a market uh, as it nears a top than there is at the bottom. I've learned from you know years, decades of experience that people don't buy bottoms. Uh, when emotions are running high, there's a lot of emotion, and markets are moving quickly. That's when it draws in the most. And this is typical of the metals markets as well as most other markets. So having said that, when it did peak and started its downward trend or its bear market within a bull secular market, so I still believe we're in a major bull market, I said it would take two or three years for this to consolidate. Again, manipulated or not, or how the price got there is a factor, of course, but the price is the price. No one can argue that. So when we got to the level that we saw a lot of support, which was the $26 level for silver and about the 1550 level for gold. What we saw was that level hold again and again and again. And at one point in time, I saw the data and I put out an alert to my members only by video. I do these videos with the charts and I said, it's going to break. It's going to go down. If you're worried about this, uh, protect yourself, hedge. And I had a hedge fund manager that actually went net short. Not that I recommended that. I was just telling him what I was doing. Right. And, uh, you know, he basically saved him because he had a huge position. And by going net short at the 26th level, when it went down into the 19s and he covered, uh, you know, he's very happy. Of course he was. Anyway, yeah. So anyway, uh, I look at it as, as 
you know, quote unquote normal market activity. I'm not trying to uh, dissuade the fact that the markets are manipulated. In fact, in my view, almost every market is manipulated. But again, you can't argue the price or the time. We're at a point now where I think the washout is done. We've been going basically sideways in both the markets, particularly silver market. Long bases build a lot of synergy that will come into the market later. So the bigger the base, uh, the longer the base, the bigger the move up. Uh, we've been consolidating uh, in this range for about a year and overall three years. So I said two or three years of consolidation, and then we should start back up. So I truly believe, from my work, everything that I do, that the cycles ebb and flow. And the function of a bull market is to kick off or shake off as many bulls as possible. And believe me, as you well know, you're in the business. There's been a lot of bulls that have been shaken out. They either have sold their positions or they haven't added or they've decided to get into the stock market or back into real estate or whatever. So there's just the sentiment is perfect. There's a very few bulls at the bottom, and that's when you should be bullish. And so I think it's, you know, again, quote, unquote, normal. Uh, going back to just reiterate an important point, the $26 level silver and 1550 gold, that was definitely a manipulation. The amount of money that was used to sell short, the amount of contracts, to be more accurate, sold was a phenomenal amount relative to the physical supplies of both the metals, and it has to be delivered. You're not going to sell a massive quantity in a short amount of time unless you want one thing and one thing only, and that's for the price to go down. That's an irrefutable fact. I don't care what anyone says. I'll go in a court of law and state that all day long because it's the truth. And that's an interesting point because we've talked about it at length here on the show. And those cycles are important because we've seen that base building happen at least uh, three other occasions prior to this one. And, of course, as you mentioned, the peaks on all three of occasions have been higher and higher. So we're extremely excited about where we are. And I do think we've shaken the tree loose of, uh, you know, a lot of, of sentiment. And we are at a point now where base building is happening and, of course, great opportunities for buyers. The number to begin investing, one eight seven seven. Silver and online, therealmoneyshow.com. Jeremy Wiseman here with our team had a question for you also, David. Yeah, I just wanted to reiterate actually what you were commenting on, um, which is it sounds like what you're saying is a lot of investors, frustrated or not, are looking for answers, coming up with questions. And it sounds to me that when I like what you're saying, I think you're saying that, correct me if I'm wrong, that you're saying, look, this is sort of normal activity, and when the market's low like this, it's going to be tough to catch a bid, but the longer it goes, the more you're setting a base for the next level up. Is that, is that essentially what, uh, what I was hearing? Oh, well said, yes, it is. And I just want to add one thing about you know the manipulation. When the first bull market that I started speaking about took place, you know, William Simon was the Secretary of the Treasury at the time, and it was sort of a wink and a nod kind of thing of how well he had done, wink, wink, with getting gold from the $200 level down to about the $100 level. Sure. So, you know, to say, oh, well, it's new, it's fresh, it's only happening now, it's only happening because I'm in the market, you know, the forces are against me. No, if you read The War on Gold and you read the amount of books I've read on gold, I mean, it's pretty, and silver, but particularly gold, you will see that there's very few times throughout all of recorded history where it wasn't manipulated. So it's nothing new, but it happened before under the uh, you know administrations that were around during the last bull run, and it's happening again, maybe differently. You know, we've got ETFs and things that didn't exist in the previous bull market. I fully understand that. The point being that the fundamental fact remains, and that is that governments don't like gold sure. uh, for the most part, Just and so. 
Yeah, just to interrupt you there, David, um, there was an interesting article by Mark Faber on CNBC this week on Tuesday, in actual fact, about the media doesn't like gold and silver. Any comment on that? Well, absolutely. I have been on TV a few times, and I was on a particular well-known financial channel, huge uh, viewer audience, and it was when gold had gone to the $1,000 level on the way up. And uh, they were trying to get me to say uh, that gold was in a bubble. And I said, no, gold isn't the bubble. The bubble is in the bond market, the debt markets, and they cut me off. They literally stopped the interview. We remember that. Claimed, claimed it was a technical difficulty, and I've never been asked back on that financial channel. So if you're willing to speak truth to power, uh, you take your chances. Now, other financial channels actually let you speak your mind. That particular one actually has you submit what you are going to say ahead of time, at least 24 hours ahead. And in my uh, opinion, they, it gives the spin doctors a you know 24-hour longer period of time to kind of spin what you're going to say. Sure. Uh, I had had that happen before, but in this particular case, since I'd been interviewed by this channel a few times, I was sort of more mentally prepared to... Uh, you know, dodge and duck and, and get my upper you know, cut in and that type of thing. And uh, I was fully prepared. And, of course, they didn't want to hear that. No one no one in the mainstream paper paradigm wants to hear that the paper paradigm has a problem. I mean, it isn't. you don't want to have that voice screaming, the emperor has no clothes, because you might wake up too many people. It's a topic we discuss here very often. But uh, more recently, you've been discussing, I've read quite a bit of analysis and uh questioning about physical silver demand and obviously it was up a lot in 2013 as the coin stats would have us uh, uh, show but ironically in Canada silver production has dropped significantly in 2014. Now we're not a significant contributor obviously as a country to the overall um, uh, supply side but I think that our bankster friends would have us believe that physical silver is very abundant, it's very easy to mine and it's of little real value. The number to contact anytime, one eight seven seven eight silver What is the real story right now on silver availability? Is it in short supply, and uh, do you see it coming to a crunch in the near future? Well, the, the best I can determine, of course, this is very difficult because... Sure it is. You know, numbers, some of the numbers you get include like hedging or paper silver, even though they put it in a physical category. But the best I can determine, can determine on the silver side is it's not really in that uh, tight of supply currently. But it's such a small market that it can become a tight market almost instantaneously. And the reason I can say that with authority is that the size of the silver market is so pathetically small relative to most other markets, gold as an example. And gold's a small market. So right now the availability uh, through London seems to be more than adequate. And the other thing, what you said, is almost precisely the way I talk about silver when you're using it as the 70% factor, meaning that about 70% of silver mined is from base metal mining production. In other words, lead, zinc, copper. Even 13% of the gold, excuse me, silver supply comes as a result of gold mining. Right. Only 25% comes as a result of primary silver mines. So the 70%, the base metal miners, really don't care that a fig about the silver price for the most part. And if this is true if you study their uh, balance sheet income statement and their annual reports. And what they'll tell you is that silver is a byproduct to them, and that's a fact. 
and that they use it as an offset. So in other words, whatever they can get for this silver, they use as an offset against their lead production or the copper production or whatever. So this is a real problem for the silver market because what happens is 70% of the market comes physically from entities that really don't care about the price. But what makes it much, much worse is they, they take their book, in other words, their production schedule, and they give that to the bullion banks who help them manage their uh, cash flow in the silver realm so that they can use it as an offset on their balance sheet. And what that means is that these uh, derivatives experts take the amount of physical metal and they can divide it up again and again and again and they use that paper silver, and it's done in the gold market as well, and use it as a delta hedging mechanism, which is just a scheme that basically they put a spread on the price and if the price goes against them, they just sell more to make sure the price goes where they want it to. Now, no one says that, but that's the way it actually works. And I think people are tired of it. And, of course, the main question I get continuously is, well, I'm not going to get in the market because these guys are doing this and they'll, they'll never stop. Yes, they will. The reason that they'll stop is that the paper, paper product doesn't equal physical reality. And, again, coming back, will there be... You know, a crunch time uh, for silver, a short supply in the near future, and the answer is no, not in the near future. But in the not-too-distant future, meaning around the 2016 time frame, there could absolutely be a scenario for silver in particular, but it could be in gold as well, where you cannot get physical in size. Oh, sure, you can go to your coin dealer and buy some rare coins or maybe get a 100-ounce bar or something like that. But for Central Fund of Canada or BMG Group or... Uh, PSLV or any of these true holding companies, or the Zurich Continental Bank, as example, to come in and buy 20 million ounces of silver like they can do now, or 30 million or whatever, uh, that, I believe, strongly will not happen. And what that will do is that will panic the market. I mean, real panic will set in, and of course, you can't keep a lid on that kind of a truth. So once that gets out, and this is conjecture on my part, it could be wrong, but I really believe this will happen in this bull market. It'll be the first time ever. People will go to the next best thing. Well, what's the next best thing? Is it an ETF? Not really. The next best thing is a mining company. So this is why I believe still strongly that the best days are ahead of us. But that's going to be a very difficult market because it's going to be panic and fear buying. And the price is going to go up and up and up. I mean, what we saw going into you know the... 2011 timeframe from you know January through the end of April, where the price of silver just went up and up and up and up. That's a prelude to what's going to happen the next time because that's just basically a warm up. As as exuberant as that market became, and remember they had to raise the margin requirements four or five times to quell the market. That's nothing in my view compared to what's going to do the next time. But again, I'm not looking for that type of a build until probably the 2016 timeframe. Is it possible, based on that answer, David, is it possible that the Eastern countries will contribute in terms of total demand to the point that the Western countries cannot control that mechanism anymore? Yes, and it could, you know, change the timeline considerably. I mean, there is the possibility that, you know, it could happen day after tomorrow. I really doubt that. Uh, The Chinese particularly and Asians in general take a long-term view, similar to like the Native American Indians, that they look out like four or five generations. So they're, they are very smart about how they accumulate wealth, and they use the accumulation pattern, meaning they buy just enough in the market to not make the price go up if they can, 
until they have actually taken so much physical that the price has to come up because there's just less and less available. So they're mining everything that they can, gold-wise and silver-wise. It all stays within the country. And then they're out in the market buying gold, as we all know, in rather generous proportions. So, But they want to do it in a manner as I outlined. However, you know, with all this going on in the geopolitical front, with all these wars and tensions, et cetera, it's a possibility, and I wouldn't rule it out, that some black swan event took place and all of a sudden uh, something took off in the gold or silver markets or both that uh, you basically couldn't stop, and it started to run. Uh, I can't rule that out, but I doubt it, and I think it's, the status quo is going to be uh, sideways markets for another couple months, maybe through the summer. We're already starting to see them build. Silver's up, I think, 70 cents last time I checked today, which is a nice move. It is a nice move. kind of move. Um, I think the low's in. I'm on record in several shows and, of course, for my paid members that the low was the 23rd of June, 2013, so roughly a year ago at the 1817 intraday low. Uh, so I'm very optimistic uh, longer term, and I don't think it's going to be that much longer. Again, you know, looking three years out, five at the most, I think we'll be uh, very happy being precious metals investors throughout the sector, not only the physical market, which I stress, especially to begin with, but also in the, you know, what I consider to be the best derivatives, which are top-tier, cash-rich, unhedged mining companies. Right. David, we only, at Guildhall, we only sell physical gold, silver, platinum, and palladium. Uh, we also store in a, a very secure, safe uh, depository. How would you buy or recommend to buy gold and silver, platinum, and palladium? In physical form. You know, that's a great question, and I'll just be totally honest. There's no reason not to be. It depends on the individual. Uh, some people uh, of modest means are best to basically just stack their silver, you know, a coin at a time is, or 10 or a roll at a time or whatever. Sure. But someone of, you know, decent means, real, and, you know, we're talking size here, I think is best off by buying to somebody such as yourselves that uh, can go, you know, monitor it or whatever and store it in a secure location and that type of thing. And what I actually recommend is to have it in probably three locations, preferably at least one outside of your main jurisdiction. So for an example, someone that was living in, let's say, Europe, to have some in Canada, some and maybe two other places, both of those could be in Europe as an example. But uh, it depends on the individual. I mean, I've gotten consultation calls from people of extreme means that have bought uh, huge quantities and asked, uh, really, the question was, David, I trust you. I want to buy this amount. I don't want to see it. I don't want to touch it. I want to know it's there. I want to know I can get it out if I want to. Who do you recommend? So in those kind of cases, I do what I just outlined. I would recommend, well, I don't think you should have it all in one place. If you are thinking like I'm thinking, you might have it in a set, another jurisdiction, and then I would set it up with you know two or three different depositories that I know and trust. So that's probably a long answer, but that's the best answer I can give you. Well, it's a good answer. I mean, we believe, I mean, what are your thoughts on this? We believe in using title and serial numbers, which is something a lot of our counterparts don't offer. But what are your thoughts when it comes to that? Assuming somebody like yourself recommends somebody like us or somebody else recommends us, do you think it's an essential part of the equation to have those serial numbers of the bars and things of that nature? Yes, I think, you know, I've done several interviews and I've gotten guests on our Mastermind series for our paid members. 
And we've explained, you know, the storage conundrum. And it's really not well understood, even unless you're really, really detailed. And, you know, we prefer segregated storage with serial numbers. I mean, you know, the, one of the places that I store is totally segregated. I mean, the gold Krugerrand that my three-year-old daughter put a scratch in is the exact Krugerrand I'll get back. As an example, that's sort of a metaphor. She didn't scratch it. But what sure, I'm no, I understand. Is that the exact metal that is mine is the exact metal I'll get back out. I think that's very important. But a lot of people, you know, it's funny. They'll spit, you know, the old pound wise or penny, pound wise was penny wise and pound foolish. There we go. And they do. They'll buy, you know, the best price and get the cheapest storage, not realizing that, you know, what does unallocated mean? And they think that it's a big entity, it's a big bank, it's a well-known name, and therefore they're safe. And in, in some cases, that's anything but true. You really want to be sure. And, and you know, when you're putting that kind of money or any kind of money, I don't care if it's your, you know, your very modest means. You want to own what you bought. And it's funny, the you know, penny wise, pound foolish, they'll put in, you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. In fact, sometimes above that into a situation and you know i want to harp on this a bit longer you know i know you know a fair amount of fund managers and you know most of them in my view are the worst because what they'll do is buy you know millions upon millions of dollars worth of metal but how do they do it well they buy it to the slv of the gld right and why do they do it that way well because it's a mouse click and they're dealing in those kind of numbers, and they need the liquidity, and they don't want to store it, and it's cumbersome, and it's all those things. But the, is it really a hedge fund if what you're doing is playing a paper paradigm that, you know, when the electrical power goes out for two days, you can't get it? I mean, it's not, it's not my preferred method. Now, I have nothing wrong against free markets and people deciding that's what they want to do. But what I stress is if you're going to play in that paper paradigm, make certain that your foundational investment in metals is metal, that you can touch it, and, that, and that's it. If you don't have that, then you don't understand what precious metals are all about. I mean, I'm very strong about that point. It's a good point, and it's one that we reiterate on a weekly basis, and uh, we've migrated to this particular method with title and serial number now for uh, for a number of reasons, but uh, we use three facilities worldwide, so it's nice to see somebody else kind of uh, bringing that to the forefront. The number to contact anytime, one eight seven seven eight silver One of the more common themes we've been discussing lately on the show is the relationship of the U.S. dollar to the price of gold, and of course, there is certainly an historical relationship uh, that that uh, we have seen take place during bull markets in particular. But um, as we're sitting here taping the show today, uh, with silver up 84 cents, the U.S. dollar is slightly weak in a number of currencies today. What is that relationship and how is it being impacted currently with the threat of other countries moving away from U.S. dollar reserves? Well, there's a lot lot that can be said. One is some of my contemporaries have a chart. I think Ian McAvity's one, and he'll take a gold chart and show that, and then I'll take a dollar chart, and then he'll invert it with a slideshow and show you that they're inversely related, which is true uh, somewhat. I don't agree totally with Ian, uh, and I like him a great deal, and he's a great technician and a great, great person, but uh, it's more complicated than just a dollar. Uh, first of all, I think the bigger, far more important question is really 
what is the relationship to fiat currencies in general? And that is that there has never been in the history of mankind any fiat currency that hasn't failed. So whether you're talking about gold and price of yen or gold and price of Canadian dollar or the U.S. dollar or the Australian dollar or what have you, the real fundamental question is what survives and what doesn't. And there are people out there that will advocate that uh, the deflationary depression will take the U.S. dollar to new highs, and I disagree totally because it would be the first time in recorded history that paper trumps gold. That has never happened, and it won't happen, and here's why it won't happen. Uh, Jim Pabava, who runs the Financial Sense News Hour, and a good friend, and I used to be on the show fairly regularly, but anyway, I have been on recently, did a great study on collapse of currencies, and what he determined after a, basically a summer of study is that there has never been a time where paper has trumped gold when you've been on a pure fiat system. So if you look back into the 30s depression, really gold was the money, even though Roosevelt restricted gold ownership and you couldn't use it. He what? He confiscated the gold, put it in the treasury to back the dollar internationally, right? But not so. So the point I'm making is, if you don't have a gold, if you, if you are not on a gold standard of some type. <clears throat> and you have a currency crisis, the currency crisis is going to take the paper away, and what's going to left standing is what stood as money for the test of time for thousands of years. That's gold and silver. So that's my absolute. I don't think there's any way out of that, regardless of the deflationary arguments, not to say that these currencies don't ebb and flow. I call it the vestige of hope for the bankers, because if they can trick the majority into thinking that one currency is better than another, they'll stay in the paper paradigm far longer than they probably should. But they all fluctuate against each other, but in reality, the whole bathtub water line is going down, down, down against gold on a long-term basis. Well, that's a, it's an interesting take, and it's something that we share in terms of our opinions on that particular matter. The number to begin investing, one eight seven seven eight silver and online, therealmoneyshow.com. David, it has been an absolute pleasure to have some time to spend with you today. And again, we'd love to have you back in the near future. Can you tell us how our listeners and anybody that's listening to the show for the first time get in contact with David Morgan and use your services? Absolutely. The easiest way is it's a web based business and just go to themorganreport.com. I do specialize in precious metals with an emphasis on silver, but we look across the resource sector and there's like 12 uh, special reports that we put together over the last several years that will help a beginner, intermediate, or advanced investor that comes with a subscription. Uh, it is a 30-day guaranteed price point uh, money-back guarantee. So, you know, if you get in there, very few that subscribe a one out, but it happens, and we're happy to do that. Sometimes it's you know over somebody's sophistication level. If you're a precious metals investor, you're usually an investor of some type before you gravitate to the metals because it takes an understanding of monetary theory and what happens uh, in monetary history, and very few people are really acquainted with that. They usually take self-study. Having said all that, uh, our record is as good as anyone's. I probably it's, it's my understanding looking at everyone else's work, that we have picked more mines that are more junior situations that have actually become mines than anybody else in the industry. Uh, are there those opportunities left? Quite frankly, no. There's really very few 
uh, exploration situations that we like anymore. So we stress, we've always stressed in the Morgan Report, which is top-tier cash-rich unhedged mining companies, as big money going into big companies. You're not going to get instantly rich. You're not going to get the 10 baggers, but you're going to preserve your capital and grow it over time. And some of these companies just keep compounding. They're very, very good companies. We like the royalty companies for a variety of reasons, and we explain that. And then we go into the mid-tier, where they have a higher growth profile, but they have a little more risk. And then we love to speculate, but we do it in a manner that is prudent with what the word means. You bet a little to win a lot. You don't bet the farm on some rank speculation. That's stupidity. We don't do that. Uh, so, you know, we try to do our absolute best, and uh, it's one of the paradoxes in life. It's self-serving from the aspect that we do a lot of research for what we recommend, but we also want to share that with others. So while we'll help, you know, our research helps us because we are in the market, it also helps you because you get the benefit of our, you know, our hard work to help you make your own decisions in this, what I think, crucial area of investing the precious metals. Excellent, David. I appreciate your time very much. We're thankful that you could spend it with us. We look forward to speaking with you soon. Thanks again, David. My pleasure. Take care. We'll take a short break. The number to start investing is one eight seven seven eight silver and therealmoneyshow.com. And back with more of The Real Money Show, the number to start investing, one eight seven seven eight silver the website, therealmoneyshow.com. Darren never ceases to amaze me the knowledge of that man, David Morgan. knows more about silver and gold, gets you on the right track. If that he, doesn't convince you to start investing, really. Well, it is true. I mean, we've had Gerald Salente in here and David Morgan, and throughout the summer we'll be adding some more uh, really, really high-profile analysts to our lineup here. And really what we're trying to do is just say, don't take our advice. You know, Take the advice of others. Listen to what they have to say about the market and how long they've been here and what they believe is really happening behind the scenes. And one thing is really evident from that interview is that David uh, doesn't pull any punches. He says what he feels. He tells you exactly what his thoughts are on the market. And he's a firm believer in physical bullion investment. And that's uh, music to our ears because it's the exact same line of defense mm-hmm. that we recommend in everybody's portfolio today as well. So when it comes to ownership, I mean, there's no second guessing uh, physical bullion. When you own it and you can have it titled and you can have serial numbers and you can go and visit, which are all part and parcel, uh, the reasons to invest with Guild Hall, it makes a huge difference over just thinking that it's there or having it in your portfolio and paper. And that's just our opinion on it. But I mean, that is why we're here and doing what we do. Well, especially when you see what's going on in the world in Ukraine, you know, what's happening uh, in some of the Arab countries, would you rather have, you know, a few coins or, or some silver in physical uh, in in your possession than having paper currencies. It's something that you have to be worried about. I'm not telling everybody to go and t- sell everything they've got, their stocks, their home, and buy nothing but gold and silver. But you should have 15 to 20% hard assets in your portfolio that are tangible assets like gold, silver, and natural fancy color diamonds. And at Guildhall, we give you the ability to buy it outright you can take it home immediate delivery or immediate delivery you can put it into our depository where it's safe secure it's allocated if you want to have the bar numbers that can be provided for you if you want to visit your product it's as easy as giving us a call one eight seven seven eight silver is the number in the real money show.com jeremy I, I think a lot of people are are maybe perhaps intimidated in the market that we have obviously both gold and silver are incredibly undervalued right now. 
you have to look around and say, hey, what's, what is undervalued right now? Where can I find some good value in the market? Maybe people are waiting for a, even more of a drop in, in the price. You know, there was a lot of hedge funds who bought into what Goldman Sachs was saying, that gold was going to drop down to 1100 They all jumped in short in the market, got pinched, and the price went up, and they all lost their shirt waiting for, for Goldman Sachs' call to come true. I think when we look at David Morgan, he, this guy knows more about the market than, than Goldman Sachs does. He's called the bottom. I think that if you're waiting for, for lower prices here, um, you might be waiting a long time. You have to be able to appreciate that it's cheap. It's cheap at gold is cheap at 13. It's cheap at 14. It's cheap at 15. Look at all the money that's been printed out there. Um, look at it compared to stock valuations, real estate valuations. Silver is incredibly undervalued when you start to look at the fundamentals in terms of how much is out there, the industrial um, usages out there. Um, where the prices should be, um, how out of whack things have become ratio-wise when you look at silver to gold, gold to the dollar, gold to oil. So you've got to really look at this, and I think you'll see that this is it doesn't get to be a much better entry point than here. Well, taking a look at gold and oil, that's an important point mm-hmm. that Jeremy's making, and that relationship has been long-term uh, with, with uh, one another, and as like most relationships, it has been both blissful and at times a very stormy affair. But gold, which is literally the ultimate canary in the global economic coal mine, it's been screaming on a high for years and years. It's leading into the global economic crisis of, of 07 into 08 and 09. It was, been, it was doing really, really well. And it reached a pinnacle in 2011 in terms of price point. And if you look at that relationship between uh, oil and gold right now, what it tells us historically is that gold is really undervalued. And I uh, was looking and reading a, a, a bit of analysis this week and looking at a couple of charts. And um, if you look at both commodities in gold and oil, uh, gold this week, as of today's price, has moved up about 327% in the last 10 years, while oil has risen about 363%. Um, you know, and at first glance, the market fundamentals are quite different for each. One is de facto currency and gold, and the other is uh, representation of energy demand or supply and economic development. And in many ways, oil and gold confirm the trend of integration, growth, and change in the global economy. So uh, they have a really tight relationship. If you look historically at what has been happening between gold and oil, gold is undervalued against oil right now. The recent price performance may be short-term overbought slightly, but in the medium to long-term, gold is most likely going to rally perhaps towards 1800 1900 in price per ounce again against gold at this range. And that relationship, I think, is about to take off. So it would not surprise me that that would be one of the strong uh, sub-fundamentals that would drive gold price into the summer and through the summer out into the fall. If we get that kind of move up in both gold and oil go towards higher pricing, silver is going to follow. And of course, on every major peak in the last uh, four four times in the last 10 years, silver has outperformed percentage-wise gold every single time. So very exciting for people looking to add some to portfolio. There's room to do a little bit of speculating. We're not here to give you the advice of your portfolio planner. We're not advisors. That's not our job. We're here to provide physical bullion. And that's what Guildhall does best. So look for that to happen over the summer.
Take a, before we take a short break, Darren, let me read this headline to you. Fed's key inflation indicator hits 19-month high. Tell me about it. Well, John, if you don't step outside your house, you got nothing to worry about. <laughs> but as far as inflation is concerned, I put gas in my vehicle. I happen to use premium. I paid 161.9 on Monday, and I posted that on my Twitter account. And it's unbelievable how expensive gas is becoming. That is more than a 12% year-over-year increase in the price per liter of gas. If that's not inflationary and stealing money out of your pocket, I don't know what No it one's going to say anything till you need two American Express cards to fill your car up. Basically, <laughs> that's what it is. You know, people yeah. bury their head in the sand, think it's going to go away. We've been talking about this on the show for a long, long time. No one seems to be bothered. Dollar forty-two, when it goes to a dollar seventy-five and two dollars a liter, then everybody's going to pipe up. It's inflation. Gellin from from the Fed has already said we've got to put wages up, otherwise we can't collect taxes. That's when it's really going to hit home. You need to buy gold and silver now at these prices. The, and putting wages up is just yet another indication of inflation. Look, people sit there, they complain about it, they just don't know what they can do about it. Gold and silver are a hedge against inflation. Read any article on gold and silver, read any book on gold and silver, they are the hedge. If you're not in it, you're not hedged against it. We'll take a short break. The number to start investing is one eight seven seven eight silver and the real money show dot com. And back with more of The Real Money Show, the number one eight seven seven eight silver Real simple, therealmoneyshow.com. Love this part of the show, Paul, where we talk about diamonds. I uh, had a colleague of mine just prior to taping this show um, upstairs said, you know, the other week when uh, you guys were talking about a diamond you actually had in studio, was that real? I said, yeah, and it's amazing. So, you know, I, I said, you got to go to the website and see these diamonds because when you bring them in, it's just the sparkle and the scintillation's incredible. Perfect, he says it sounded great. Perfectly said. Yeah. Uh, if you go to our website, guildhalldiamonds.com, you're going to see a terrific selection and collection of our natural fancy colored diamonds, from fancy to intense to vivid. Uh, I would say we have more internally flawless yellow diamonds up than anybody in the world today of quality. Mm-hmm. There are lots of diamonds out there, and there is problems buying a certain amount of diamonds. Every diamond that we buy and we collect has to meet the criteria. It's not just the four Cs of the color, the clarity, the cut, and the carat weight. Because a diamond... Uh, you know, is internally flawless, it can still be badly cut. And the cut is what gives the fire, the color, and the scintillation. And the make of that diamond makes the whole color scheme come alive. The color, it's important that the color is complete saturation and even saturation of the diamond. A lot of colored diamonds don't have even saturation. It is buyer beware out there. That's why at Guildhall Diamonds, we provide not only a GIA, that's a Gemology Institute of America. That's the certification of the diamond. We give you an independent appraisal so you know an idea of what the replacement value of that diamond is if it's lost or stolen. The diamonds that we pick, somewhere down the road, those diamonds will come back to us. A lot of companies out there will say, well, we sell you diamonds, we don't buy diamonds back. Well, we do take our diamonds. We do have a plan for our clients to be able to resell their diamonds down the road. You need to hold on to a diamond, whether it's 5 years, 10 years, 15, 20 years. If you're looking to retire, you're looking to put your kids through education, you need to hold on to something. You know, you don't buy a house and day trade it. You don't have to day trade diamonds. You just need to hold it, put it away, and watch it grow in value. 
You can get involved in this investment for as low as $12,000. These diamonds tend to increase in value. They tend to double every four to five years. Again, it's like real estate. It's location, location, location. The bigger the diamond you buy, the better quality as a vivid, internally flawless, a two-carat, 175, 182 is going to increase more in value than a one-carat diamond. Mm. It's common sense. When it comes to pink diamonds, the Argyle mine is closing in 2018. We sell only Argyle VS2 quality diamonds. We don't sell SI1 or SI2 or I1 or I2. We don't believe they are investment grade. Though they are going up in price, they are not such a good investment as a VS1, VS2 quality Argyle of a quarter of a carat and above. I get calls, four or five calls a week of people that have purchased diamonds from companies. Uh, They haven't really done their homework. You really have to do your homework when you buy a natural fancy color diamond. And at Guildhall Diamonds, we do the work for you. We have a GIA diamond graduate on staff, which helps us choose the diamonds. That's Nicole. She writes a lot of blogs. She writes a lot of information about what's happening in the diamond market. We're a member of the NCDIA. That's the National Colored Diamond Association of America. Go to Guildhall Diamonds. Look at the diamonds we sell. Look at the diamonds that are on hold. Look at the diamonds that are sold. Look where the diamonds are available. Darren, you've got some auction results. I do, and this is where we find out exactly what the market is bearing for prices in terms of colored diamonds. Christie's held an auction June the 11th of this year, just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, their auction was highlighted by a 5.5-carat Fancy Vivid Pink VVS1 uh, oval diamond that sold for $9.5 million. It bested their estimate of $8 million by a million and a half. That's $1.7 million per mm-hmm. carat, which is an abnormally high price for pinks, but it gets even better than that. At that same auction, a 5.91-carat Fancy Light Pink Fancy light pink. We don't even sell fancy light pink. To us, that's below investment grade, but because of the size of this diamond, uh, they may have included in the auction. It was VS1 Clarity. It sold for $1.8 million or $310,000 per carat. That's three times as high as the estimate. But here's the kicker, the best part of all. There were 10 buyers. 85% of the lots were sold. And of those 10 buyers, seven of them were jewelers, which tells us that it's near impossible, as Paul has said, for months upon months to get high-quality product, so much so that they're willing to pay the buyer's premium and whatever taxes might be processed on top of that to buy these diamonds. That's the interesting thing. That was a light pink fancy. We have a 105 carat intense VS1 on our website. Mm Again, it's $395,000, but it's an intense. That's three or four times the price of a light fancy. As you get into intense and as you get into vivid, they are harder and harder to find. These stones are absolutely spectacular. We have some unbelievable stones on our website at great, great prices. So if you're looking to retire, you're looking to put your kids through university, 
you're sick of the stock market, you're sick of any other investment that you're making. This is one of the safest investments. They've been keeping records for the last 40 years, never, ever dropped in price. And not only that, it's an insurable asset. Go to our website, guildhalldiamonds.com. John, why don't you give out a couple of other numbers so people, if they want to invest in gold and silver and a natural fancy color diamond, they can call us. That'll do it for another week, fellas. The number he's talking about is one eight seven seven eight silver The website, therealmoneyshow.com.